if you put on the goggles and go into the virtual space, you are there, you are present. Yeah. And you are engaged. And therefore, because you're present, you actually, your senses become more alive. The idea of thought leadership may be an antiquated one, and that's because maybe we no longer need people in society and within our communities to lead with their thoughts, because we now live in what Grant Sparks calls an omniscience age, because between Google and ChatGPT and new AI products that are coming out daily, getting to information has never been easier maybe in all human history. And so where we are today, I think what we need are curiosity leaders. And the guest on this episode for me is exactly that. And I hadn't even come up with this framework or paradigm of a curiosity leader until I came across Allison. Allison for me is one of the people in Web3, crypto, and the metaverse who is doing the most thoughtful and intentional work to get outside of her virtual and digital comfort zone, to experiment, learn, grow, and even make mistakes along the way. So on this episode, I had the privilege of sitting down and chatting with Allison about her thoughts on Web3, crypto, the metaverse, and beyond. Allison, for me, is a curiosity leader, and I couldn't be more excited to share this episode with you. I'm Jarrett Carpenter, and this is More Than Blockchain. Allison, welcome to More Than Blockchain. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm really pleased to be here with you. Thank you for the invite. Well, thanks for hopping on. I feel like we've been, I, you know, I don't even know how long we've known each other on the internet. Does that make sense? Like, how long has it been? Well, it is, it, I don't know, it feels sometimes that it goes really quick, and then you think the intensity of relationships, because you get connected, you then follow people, and then you just listen to everything they say, so you see them everywhere. So then it feels like, oh, it's been forever. Uh, but sometimes it's a short period, um, but it's definitely, it's definitely been all of this year, early last year, definitely. Yeah, it feels like it's been, I don't know, it could be a year, it could be six yeah. months. But as you know, in crypto and in Web3, a week can seem like a month or three months. So here we are. Thanks for coming on the pod. And today, I want to pick your brain about your favorite Web3 products, services, experiences you if anyone follows you and we will leave all your information in the show notes you are constantly experimenting with things and you are constantly going out of what i would what i would assume someone's comfort zone in web3 to just try new products okay so i guess i want to start with the question is how many ens domain type names do you have because i feel like you've played with a bunch and i know you and i are both part of the rv collective so we have that one and you were the one who sent, I, I saw your tweet and I followed those instructions. I know you obviously have your .eth, which is very prominent on all of your socials. Yep. What other places have you been playing around with names and how, have the, how, you know, and how have they worked? Well, actually, it's really interesting because the first ones I got were the um, .x, .crypto, .wallet, .blockchain, .nft. I got the whole series and I got them for myself for my daughter and for my partner. And I remember it really strongly because it was International Women's Day, March the 8th, 
2022 and I was listening to um, women doing some really great stuff and they mentioned about it. So um, Unstoppables, Unstoppable Domain. So um, literally I jumped over and I bought them and I just thought, do you know what? I'm just going to get every variation that I can. (laughs) And that's what I did. And so that was my first encounter. And I think I would have stuck with that, actually, except I came across a little problem in my um, journey to learn more, as you say. I couldn't attach my unstoppable to my wallet. And that was purely because I had a MetaMask wallet and it wasn't linked at that point to MetaMask. And that's probably not an issue now. But so I literally I spent days saying, what am I doing wrong? And therefore, in the end, I found out it wasn't achievable. So that felt good because it wasn't me. But so then I went and got an ETH address. And then I bought the ETH address for myself, my daughter and my partner in a range of configurations. And then we got the Real Vision one. So that's my collection. I also have Unstoppable Domains. And I kind of feel let down by them because when I bought them, I was under the assumption that when you bought the domain, you never had to do anything else and it would always be your domain. But now I get all these emails and it's like, well, you have to update and you have to pay a service fee or something. So are you getting those same things? And this is not to like, this is not to say anything bad about unstoppable domains, but I do think that maybe they built not understanding how long, how like long forever is because their whole thing was you'll have this forever. Have you gotten the same emails? Well, it's interesting. I don't think I have. But I'm going to go and check because I definitely am under the belief that my unstoppables, I paid once and that is it. That is mine forever. And that is clearly what it said to me, where the ETH you do literally buy for a period um, like we're used to with the old domains. So I'm but I'm going to go and check all of that out then to make sure I haven't lost any because I haven't paid any additionality. Yeah, I don't think you've. I don't think that you would lose any, from what I understand. It's almost like they would stop working until they to reactivate. Now I could be completely wrong, oh. but I've just gotten yeah, but I've just gotten a lot of emails recently from them. And to be fair, I haven't tapped into them because in Google they're in my like social thing, and I just kind of leave that to just fill up and get crazy. And if it is, I kind of I kind of get it though because I think their idea was right, but then like forever is a really long time, and to try to keep things up, you know, keeping something up online. It needs energy. And I think that that's often forgotten, especially like with NFTs. A lot of the NFTs are, you know, in a, in a cloud, like Amazon uh, web services. And a lot of people don't understand that, that it's not actually on chain. It's being like the image is being housed somewhere else. And I just think that that's like a very interesting misconception. So, but with the dot ETH, when you bought them, and it's so crazy when you buy a dot ETH, because you can buy it for one year, I think is the minimum. And yeah. then I think you can buy it, honestly, up to 30 years. Yep. How far did you buy it? You know, how many years did you go? I only did 10 years. So I bought all of mine for 10 years. So that then I just thought, to be honest, I thought I'm 55. I'll be 65 by then. Uh, like then I can like to have to have a whole nother rethink of what I'm doing. And, and by then my daughter who is 23 now, she will obviously have to renew hers. Yeah. But, but she's one of those, um, <laughs> uh, generation X of like, I don't know what I need to do this for. What do I need it for? But she will one day and she'll be very pleased. I bought her every configuration of her name possible under ETH and under Unstoppable. You're definitely thinking ahead. I, as you know, I work for Mercy Corps 
And someone out there has the mercycore.eth. They went and bought it and they hold it. So no one at Mercycore actually owns it. And it's kind of a thing where we're like, you know, if they put up a campaign and they did something well on the internet, they could probably get people to donate money. Because right now, as you know, with the .eth, some, have you been seeing the guy Polly and what he's been doing on Twitter in the last, it's happened in the last 24 to 48 hours where he put up his ETH, he put up his .eth address, excuse me, I think he actually put up his code, his hexadecimal yeah. code for Ethereum. And he said, send me money and what you'll get in return is nothing. And he's since bought the .eth, I think you get nothing, .eth or something like that. But he has $1.25 million in Ethereum that people have sent him. Have you heard about this? No. Oh my gosh. That is phenomenal. It's ridiculous, right? And Brian Naughton actually posted about it yesterday. And I will share that post with you. But it's like, this is the power of the decentralized web. I'm like, you couldn't do that before. Like, no matter what country he lives in, yeah. if he said to the world, send me money to my bank account, it's just too difficult. And you also maybe don't want everyone knowing your account and your routing number. So, but this, he can kind of hide, you know, not really anonymity, even though I do think he's pseudonymous on Twitter. But I just think the leveraging of dot eats is a very interesting thing. And this is a real world use case mm-hmm. where he originally put up his hexadecimal, but now he's put his dot eth. And so the question I have, since you are a collector of these type of domains, is what else have you seen people, you know, leverage these things well? And how are you trying to use it? Because it's very prominent in your socials. Yeah. Well, you did ask about what's some of my favorite products. And if you define that, I mean, the .es or the actually the domains, the Web3 domains, if we say it that way, so it does include Unstoppables, it does include um, ETH. I think they're such a valuable resource because one for the example you just gave, yeah, actually people all over the world can share something and can get a response straight away where before it would have had to include so many different actions. I've got to consciously think about going into the bank, getting all their details, doing that. It would stop you doing things sometimes. So I think for me, that is a real bonus. I think for me, the issue also is the security. And actually, by having that, I can use it everywhere. So I, as you say, it's on my socials, it's everywhere. Any, um, I helped somebody set up a ETH address yesterday. And they were like, why should I buy this? And they only bought one year and it was like $50. But it was their son's name, full name, really, really good name. And they were like, yeah, but now they can do everything. They only ever have to remember their name. And actually, they can share that with everyone. That can be their email. It can be their wallet address. It can be so, it's so much of your identity. And so for me, I think it is really helpful. It's protective for people because you don't have to give out too much information. But also, it helps you protect yourself because actually, that's a really simple thing to remember. I'm always going to remember a metaverse A. Uh, ETH or alisonalexander.eth always. And I think therefore that helps me protect. If I was stranded somewhere and I needed something, I mean, I've got that. And that is therefore access into various different routes that I can actually get support. So I think it's a really valuable. I think the way to raise funds is really good that you've said. It's a shame Mercy Corps doesn't own it. Um, I did a um, conv- I did a breakfast um, session a, a couple of months ago, and I bought the domain of the company who asked me to go and present. 
<laughs> that's amazing that's I absolutely did, amazing I did say to them you should be they asked me and I was talking to them and I said you should really go and buy this and they obviously didn't take anything seriously even though they asked me to come and talk about web3 to their audience so I bought it um and so now I own it so <laughs> but um but I think it's I think there's such a lag still on that one I think people haven't quite got the understanding that the web two domains, um, they will eventually disappear and they will be superseded by web three domains. And I just think people aren't quite there yet. We're, we're on a massive journey on all of it. And that's, that's some of what we need to do in terms of whether as an individual or as companies, we need to be educating people more and more on that. When do you think that transition will happen? And obviously, this is a transition that will take probably decades, just in the same way that many people, many people, I would say now, and it's not even an age thing, they no longer get mail to their house because you can do everything online. So like it used to be that you lived at 123 Millbrook Lane, for example, but now it's a metaverse a at gmail but now sorry that was web 2 and now it's a, a, a excuse me a metaverse a.e so i'd love your uk perspective on this but when do you think that transition is going to happen i mean i think it it is going to be a number of years yeah i i think there's going to be step changes i'll give you an example too my partner's 87 year old mum just moved and your example everything went to her house everything was post well we helped her move and now nothing comes in the post because we've now set it up. Because if we're going to help her and if we're going to do that, we're quite comfortable with electronic. So everything has become electronic. So it, in a sense, it is a generational issue, isn't it? The more we have people comfortable with electronic, the use of electronic for everything we do, comms, interviews, discussions, connections with friends, the more we will move there. But I think the, the transition in business, I think, I mean, it's going to be a 10-year, isn't it? I mean, all of the big professional services say by 2030, the whole metaverse will itself be kind of a trillion-dollar industry, and that's just one small part of Web3. So I think if you look at 2030, 2030 will probably be a big leap year where so much has happened leading up to that. And therefore, we will start to see greater transitions. If you think of those who are in their 15 to 20 age range at the moment, who are digital natives, then in 10 years time, they're going to be, they're kind of the 25 and to 35 year olds. They'll be the ones starting to be responsible in business. Um, yes, not all the decision makers, but they'll be big parts of businesses which will be influencing how it goes. So I do think it's going to it's going to take a good kind of like that 10-year period. But then I think in 10 years' time, I'll, well, I'll be, as I say, 65, and I'll look back and see life and think of, it will be such a different view. I love that take. And I, when even you just say the 15 to 20-year-olds now in 10 years, they're going to be 25 to 30, that for some reason makes me feel older than I am. But it's also a really interesting thing to think that like the kids who are freshmen and maybe sophomores in university and then in high school they're within a short span of time are going to be like wow 
what is happening. And for them, yeah, the, they're not going to want a bank account. They're going to want a dot ETH. And that may be how they get paid. And one of the things about having a dot ETH, and this is going to kind of get into the, into the weeds of security here, is that you have to keep it in a wallet. So my question for you is, what wallet do you keep it in? And you could, you don't have to say like, you know, if it's a MetaMask or not, you could say it's, it's, it's in my hot or it's in a cold storage. How are you ensuring that no one gets your ametaversa.eth? I mean, it is a really tricky question, isn't it? Because I could easily say to you, I have both a hot and I have several hot and one cold wallet. Yeah. And therefore I keep all of my kind of value. I mean, everything is a value, whether it's one NFT that costs me kind of like $20 or one that costs me a couple of hundred or whether it's me buying ETH or Bitcoin. Yeah. All of it has value. But what I found is that over time, I have been transferring it all into my cold. I think initially I started with the cold was for my kind of ETH and Bitcoin and then realized actually, I think it was when I, um, my, I allowed somebody into my wallet and they took like five of my NFTs. And on that, I think that's when I started to realize. And then I transferred them all the ones of greater value out into my cold wallet. So I, I keep them there. But in terms of how do I make sure, I mean, it's that typical like seed phrase, which also becomes to the debate of do we like it if other people like Ledger could say, can we have your seed phrase and we we'll send it to three different places. On the appearance, I go, brilliant, I don't have to. But then on the other side, it's like, no, that's so against everything that we're thinking about. Yeah. So um it is about that. So I would want to say I have my seed phrase in like a, in a kind of security box and in two different places so that actually, if anything were to happen, you can get to it. But one of the things that scares me at the moment is that if I were to have an accident or pass away, something happens, the next generation, do they know how to get into all of our wallets? Do they understand that? And then actually, I don't want resource just lost into the EU because nobody knows how to get into it. So that's a whole bit about why I think so much around we should use education in schools now. Educationists should always be futurists, shouldn't they? They should always be looking like 10, 20 years down the line. And they're always going to be teaching history because we all need history, but they're actually going to be teaching the future. And even though no one's sure whether those in some people aren't sure whether the whole web three is going to stay it's going to be and they're the ones who are like oh maybe we won't dip into it yet we need them to be educating our children so that then they know for the future and that's what i think is really important around that that um we not only have that safety um but we find a ways to make sure our children are all educated on that education in the space is huge and i think one of the you know, when, it, when I look back at my university experience and my grad school experience, both experiences like in higher ed, I guess you could say, the places I got some of the most value weren't just in the classroom. They were outside hanging out with my classmates who were from different places, had different backgrounds, spoke different languages, had different religions, just came from completely different walks of life. And so when we both look at the same problem solution set, whether it's an international development or we're just trying to work on a group project, we had completely different ways of looking at the same thing. And I know that you are a fan of our show, the Not Crypto Bros, and, and not to like, you know, build that one up too much, but 
where else do you find really good education? Because you're pretty active on Twitter. You're pretty active on LinkedIn. Who are the people that you kind of look to and say, you know what, I'm going to take what they are saying into account because I've listened to them in the past and really felt like they were adding value. Well, you know that I love real vision. <laughs> um, we, we both have a NFT real vision. Um, and, and I think what I like about that is it's rounded. So obviously, Real Vision has several bits. They have the Real Vision crypto show. So if you really want that, but then Raoul Paul has the wider, I want to say the wider look on, on everything. Yes, it's financial driven, but he does look at more rounder topics. And so I really find that helpful. So um, actually, uh, my partner and I, uh, I got him into that. And so we often just, and in the evenings or weekends, we just watch that on and, and it's nice watching it on YouTube because you can see people. That's what I like. I like um, the kind of listening as I go on my walks, but I actually do like being able to see sometimes. So because I think that tells you a lot about how people are looking. And I'm not one for you've got to physically meet, but I think it's good to see people. You get to see what they looked like when they were saying things. So sometimes we'll show you what they feel about it. So I like that. I did listen to bankless a lot yeah and um and I did and I I found them really helpful when I first got in and I think it's about different shows have different purposes don't they so um for me I feel it doesn't take account of the newbies it doesn't it doesn't help me as a newbie really learn and grow into this world it it makes so some of the shows I find are more now that I already have to have this, uh, I'm raising my hand up a bar, I already have to have this level of knowledge, a high level of knowledge to be able to really engage in it. And therefore, for me, that's where I found that less helpful now. So, so I like ones that are rounded. The crypto one I love, um, Ash Bennett I love, because he always says, and what does that mean to the new person? Or whenever anyone says a jargon word, he makes them describe it. So. I find that really helpful. I love, like you guys, I fell upon, and I really don't know how I fell upon you, but it must have just been listening on LinkedIn one day and you popped up, all of you. I like the fact with um, your show that there's three of you with different perspectives. And I think that's really helpful on any kind of show that you've got different views. As you said, you learned the most outside of the classroom by different people. So I, I like that. On LinkedIn, I feel LinkedIn's kind of ride some waves really it used to be there was a lot on there then I feel like it's dipped quite a lot the number of content creators I think that's the word we're like supposed to formally use now about people who are writing stuff on LinkedIn has really dipped and I'm not sure if they've gone somewhere or they just don't appear on my feed anymore so I think 2022 was definitely a busy year on LinkedIn and I just used to listen, listen to random people, really. I think that's sometimes good, just listen to all sorts of people. And then on Twitter, um, I used to have a Twitter space, and I did that for quite a while, um, and that was helpful. Then I used to what, listen to The Breakfast Show with Cap, uh, 10 at, I think it's 8 a.m. In, in the States, and that was always really helpful, and that was rounded. But I think there's something I notice about if shows go on too long, they become about the people rather than the topic, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And it's almost like in the, in the character development arc, 
they just kind of, and I'm wondering, as you say that out loud, I'm wondering if that's happening right now with Not Crypto Bros. Not maybe that it's becoming all about us as individuals, but more that we're starting to lean into our characters. Like for Grant and Aussie, I'm like a crazy Bitcoin maxi, but to other Bitcoin maxis, I'm not a Bitcoin maxi, you know? And for us, Grant is the real estate guy. And for us, Aussie's like, you know, the daily news. I mean, he is just the most up to date on everything that's happening in crypto, probably that I know in Web3. He just has always been reading every article out, which is a really impressive thing to do, as you know, because it moves at a billion miles per hour. I mean, this last 24 hours, if you weren't looking at socials or even in the last week, you have missed out on so many things happening just on like the micro level. There have been a couple of scams that have gone through. One woman who said she had cancer and then she was able to raise like 150,000. There's this, now the thing where, you know, the guy's like just sending me, you know, send me money and you get nothing in return and he's raised 1.25 million. So if you had just gone on vacation, you would miss both of those things. And they both influence the space in different ways. And for me, with like the philanthropy, when we see these scams where people are like trying to using do-gooding as a shiny object to get people to donate money and it's actually fake, that really hurts us and it hurts the space in general. Because from an outsider, when they hear that, they're like, oh, see, crypto's a scam. And shame on them. They're even using a fake cancer story to raise money. So it, I, I don't know. But going back to your, your comment about sometimes shows last too long, I think you're right. And I think like there's certain radio shows that I can't even listen to now because they're just all about the person. It's like, well, you, you know, it's almost like Sex in the City where yeah. they just they break down into their, and I, I'm not very Sex in the City literate, but I do know everyone's always like, you know, they'll say, oh, you're so Miranda. That's like a very common, I don't even know what that means, but like if I say it in a group of like, you know, some of my friends who watch the show, they'll either be offended, laugh, and I don't even know what it means, but like they break down into the characters so much. I'm assuming it's like friends or any of these long-term things. They are. And and I was going to exactly say that. It's like, if you watch any series, you think this is a great series until it turns into the, each episode is about the lives of the individuals who are the main characters versus they used to look outward. And I wonder if it, it just becomes inward and that's all. And I think sometimes some of the shows that I've seen or been watching for a long time, that's what's happened. It's about those characters. And it's like, look, I really like your character, but I actually want a bit more. And I think for me, I, I actually jumped into the, like, the bankless and the real vision because I wanted to know more about the crypto because I think I spent my first year and a bit all about NFTs and learning so much more about NFTs and the world of NFTs, especially female founders and female artists and buying up their artwork, getting involved in their projects. And I did a lot of that. And I actually felt I was a bit naive about, therefore, uh, crypto in its raw form. And so therefore I wanted to get into those shows to learn more. And now I find myself in a position of not being an expert in it at all, but actually feeling there's a difference of trading versus just wanting to understand. It's a bit like fear anyway, isn't it? You either want to know how fear works and how, and what's happening daily with it, or you want to know how to trade it. And I think it must be hard to run a show when you're trying to aim at both audiences. Yeah, I think that's hard. I think it's definitely hard to run a show when you're trying to touch on too many audiences. You know, like even this episode, when we started the episode, I kind of wanted to ask you how you got into crypto. 
because for some people that can be a point where they're like, oh, I used to be uh, whatever, like my profession used to be that same thing now. And now, wow, now she's gone. So Allison's gone from that profession into Web3. And they would see that. And I know that your background is in the government. So maybe they're like, oh, people in the government can get into Web3. But at some times I'm also like, as important as your story is into Web3, the thing that's most important about Web3 is what you're doing now, your thoughts on today and what you're thinking about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to balance where somebody who maybe is new to the space would probably find a, a parallel to your own personal development and how you got into Web3 with people who are going to listen to this show, and this is getting very meta because we're talking about this, but who are going to be like, you know what? I don't really care what Allison has done in the past. I just want to know where she's going now. And I want to know about her thoughts on ENS and how she's keeping her seed phrase safe and all of these things. And so I kind of go back and forth and I'm always trying to be like, who is the exact audience? Because I want it to be something that's tangible for people, but it's also like, if it becomes strictly just onboarding, it does kind of, it's going to hit its limit with being able to attract a certain group of people that are trying to just continue to think about tomorrow. Yeah, because those people are going to move on. But your show, I have to say, is, I, I am going to say it's quite rounded. I mean, I, and I'm really rubbish with names, okay? You'll remember all the names, yeah? But, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you earlier talked about the 25, I mean, the 15 to 25 generation, or I mentioned it. You had the young the I'm going to say young guy, I don't mean to offend him, but the younger guy, yeah? And all that he's doing at university, yeah? and what he's doing to bring about um, different people. And for me, that's really important. And then you had the university guy who was using crypto. People could use crypto to pay for their fees, which were bringing people in from all across the world to be able to pay for fees. So I find it really fascinating, the people that you interview. Mercy Core, you interviewed them and gave us that insight. So I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I think it's really important to bring a bunch of people around the campfire, whether it's this podcast or just in Web3 in general, because, and I put an episode out about this recently, but the idea of that there's no experts in crypto, there are just people that are more curious and probably more persistently curious and that are going to hang around long enough and just keep being like, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I think that is why I was super excited to have you on this episode and have you on the podcast and bring you into the more than blockchain uh, guest community because it needs more people that are curious to stay around. And to go back to the comment that you made about 2022 was really bumping on LinkedIn. There was just a bunch of chatter, a bunch of banter, a bunch of people sharing ideas. And now 2023 is kind of slower. This really mimics the last bull run. So in 2017 is when things really started to go up. In 2018, they kind of peaked But by 2019, it was kind of a zombie year. And then 2020 started again. 2021 was huge. 2022 was cooling down. And 2023, four years after 2019, is another zombie year. And so we're kind of there again. But as we saw in 2020, I think we'll see the same thing in 2024, where we'll start to see prices going back up. So then more people will come back to the space. More attention will be back. And you know, we're going to see that, but that's something that we talked about yesterday on Not Crypto Bros, the feeling that there seems like there's been an exodus, even though it was a silent one. It was just kind of like a, as you said, this, maybe you're not seeing the people in your feeds, but I don't believe that, it, that that's the case at all. I just think that there are less people creating content mm. around Web3 and crypto. And so in that kind of, I, I always mm. knew that 2023 was going to be a zombie year. 
in this zombie or what are you particularly looking for? Like what is the signal amongst the noise for you? I think it's the diversity actually. And I will come back to that because I think the more that, whether that's people like myself, people like yourself, talking to different people and pulling out their stories because so many things are happening in all corners of the world. But if people don't hear about them, it will take longer to bring people on. So the fact that you gave an example of how you can use crypto for university fees, yeah, that's one example. I really hope that inspired different people or just made people go, oh, okay, now let me think about that in my part of the world. So what I'm looking for is examples all the time, yeah, for people to be talking real life examples, maybe what 2021 was in that sense in 2022 was all around, yes, 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 hype, hype, we can do this, we can do this. And now everyone always says, I'll build a stick around. And I think it's more about people who are putting the idea into practice. And therefore, what I want to see throughout the year is more people demonstrating that, bringing them and giving them a stage. So whether it's like last week, I um, interviewed Sharonda, who set up the first nurse DAO in the globe. And she has done that. Um, she's a practicing nurse and she has done this on the pure reason to empower nurses to actually be able to engage and to do peer-to-peer transactions with patients outside of third parties. So imagine that. And so for me, that's what I'm looking for in this year. I'm looking for example after example to roll out So we can show to the world. Yeah. So the way that, as you said, we talked about um, ENS domains, how they can enable people to do different business, how actually a DAO can enable people to come together from across the globe, which they would never have done. You might have got a nurse union in one place, but you're bringing people together across the globe and they're thinking how they can do things differently for the sole benefit. In that way, it's for nurses and patients. Totally, everybody wins. Patients get cheaper services and nurses get paid more money because there's not an intermediate taking the money. Yeah. So I think the more, I mean, that's like just one example. I, I like to talk about how the blockchain, my favorite, I love the products like ENS, blockchain, because I think if we can start to get university schools to put kids' records onto the blockchain so they carry them around with them for life. Um, and whether that is a gym certificate or a, a an A-level or a degree, it, it's that history, isn't it? So then actually whatever happens, I mean, and we only look at the, in Europe, we look at it at the moment, like you have Ukraine and people come into England and they're, they're an, I want to say they're a nobody according to the government because they have no ID, no proof of anything. And actually what we want is for them to see more and more people having that information on the blockchain so they can appear in the UK and they can prove who they are and what they're capable of and they can remain economically independent and economically contribute to the community. So for me, I, I think the more you can bring people, the more everyone can bring people to the stage that says, and this is how it can work in this small example or in this example, that's how we'll start to get more mass adoption. I couldn't agree more. I. I think, and this, and this is the really tough part, 
because it's kind of like what happened with COVID, right? What happened with COVID was this virus, you know, this plague started essentially. And then we had the scientists and the doctors who were just trying to figure it out in real time. How are we going to solve this problem? We have this problem. How are we going to solve this problem in real time? And the problem is that the scientific method is super, super ugly. And if you have Twitter and social media laid over that process, it just looks like a bunch of fails. But at the end of the day, I think humanity dealt with it pretty well. Now, there will be people who say we could have done it better, but sure, hindsight is always twenty twenty. And I feel like the same thing is happening right now with Web3 and crypto, where there is a lot of FUD because the people that are actually out there doing the things get the most FUD. Like I've seen people go at Raoul Paul's tweets and say he's this, that, he's just use horrible language. And it's like the more you create and the more you build in a zombie year, as I've called it, the more flack you're going to get. But for me, the signal is anyone who's getting hate, I just want to know why. For good or worse, that to me is like where I put my attention because it's what you're talking about. It's like we need to try real world use cases for these things so we can actually bring on mass adoption. Because at the end of the day, some of it is just kind of, you know, a lot of the ideas that happened in 2021, no one even talks about anymore. And one of those ideas that I totally latched onto, I got the Oculus goggles, I was ready to go, is the idea of an immersive virtual space where we can all hang out. And because your name is A Metaversa A, Dottieth, where are you here on when we're, you know, in, when we're going to be doing this call, not with video, but with our avatars? When do you think we're going to start working in the, a fully immersive virtual space? Maybe we don't need to. It's also like, is it a solution looking for a problem? So because you have Metaverse tied to your social media, you know, when do you think that is? I have been lucky enough to um, work in VR or, I mean, yes, I was the CEO of a virtual reality company where we, um, we used to do training for people in VR to help them get greater empathy for how they then responded to children, how they responded to uh, victims or survivors of domestic abuse. And this was training police officers, health doctors, teachers, social workers, everyone, yeah, so that you really got to. So when I look at that world, I think the immersive nature is so powerful because the immersive nature here, as we always say, you could be distracted by your phone ringing or somebody walks past you. If you put on the goggles and go into the virtual space, you are there. You are present. Yeah. And you are engaged. And therefore, because you're present, you actually your senses become more alive and therefore you are likely to have more impact in the exchanges that you have. There's evidence people learn faster. Um, I, if you want to find a way to help people learn and to implement their learning more quickly, take them into VR. It's like 35% plus more likely that people will retain the knowledge and implement it. So it's a really, uh, a really vital environment, I think. I think it's really important, the environment, because people can play in it. And I mean that, again, I'm going to come back to the education world. I think take kids in there and let them see like different worlds take them to I mean take them back to the dinosaurs take them forward to space yeah you can build imagine having classrooms of that nature and how you would have a different dialogue with people than sitting there with a book yeah so I think the more we can do that but I think we have to remember 
we have to have the means to do it in the goggles, totally immersive, or on our keyboard and on our screen. And I think I think we shouldn't be worried about saying that because I I do a lot of going into whether it's on cyber, decentraland, uh, sandbox for events, and I do it from my desktop. And and it's such a different environment. You are engaged fully. Yeah. Okay. It's not the same as if you had your headset on. And I can say that, but it's still engaging. And I think I was on an event last week um, at the MetaShapers event, and I was presenting in a virtual space as my avatar with a big screen behind me, all of that. And it's really different. Yeah. And I think. We are going more to that place. But again, I don't think it's going to be until 2030 where we start seeing that becomes a normality. Yeah, I think we're still talking a good six, seven years um, away. And then you'll start seeing much more going in those environments. I think that timeline is super reasonable because I think one of the things we don't have is accessible hardware that's good. The Oculus, I tried them. They made me really dizzy. And after 30 minutes, I'd have to take them off. And then I would have a headache. I couldn't shake for hours. So I ended up returning them. And my buddy who also got them, he returned them. So I think when the hardware, the software, and the cultural acceptancy collide, that's where you're going to have kind of like a mass adoption situation. And it would be bad of me to not call out all the beautiful artwork you have behind you. So before I tee up the next question, I want to also shout out the fact that the RV Collective, an NFT project that you and I are both a part of, they just picked up three World of Women NFTs to put in their vault, which I think is oh, really wow. cool. So yeah, because I think it's great for them to be supporting a women-led project. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just shout out some of the art and su- stuff you got behind you and you know, kind of the people you looked up to? Yeah, no, definitely. So, um, so lots of female artists, um, so not your bros. Um, and uh, and they're very close, not your bro, not crypto bros. So, um, but they are um, an Australian-based project. Amazing. That is my my actual, my NFT that I use all the time as my identity. But I have a whole series of those, um, but they were all stolen. Um, and I had to buy this one back from the thief who stole it from me because it was my identity. The rest, I just said I wasn't going to buy back. But this one I had to. So, so sad. But then you have Tuttle Tribe. Tuttle Tribe is in Miami and they are a Web3 equity project, very much focused on and bringing more and more women. Michelle Abs, if you ever want to talk to a woman who's grounded and bringing more women into the space, really fantastic. And then, I mean, they're the kind of two big ones. Honey Badges, again, is a um, Australian-based project and that's very much in line with Mercy Cause. Um, philosophy about working in developing countries, especially with women and around education and periods and how they use the funding from the NFTs to put money into into women in that way. So that's really good. And I have like lots of others, Surge, um, that's another women's project. I have women's sports, Um, the cultural factor, that's another good podcast that I always usually listen to. She's um, really good. And then we have some England-based ones. We've got Almea, who is an artist. You can't see. Sorry, I'm pointing to them, everybody, but you can't see. Um, who is an artist that I met. I think she's in Colombia. 
I need to check that. And a woman from Newfoundland that does some amazing artwork. So I did that. Um, so yeah, so just some really amazing from different places in the world and from different women. Yeah, I love it. And I think what I'd like to do is put all of those artists and links and their NFT projects or their Twitter. We should put all of that in the show notes. So that way, even though people can't see the art that you're necessarily referencing, they could go check it out on their own time and kind of dive into where you're supporting, you know, because when we vote with our NFTs, we're really voting with our values. So I, I think that's awesome. Do you want to take the time now to shout out where people can find you and the links if people want to get in touch with you? Well, as you've said, I'm quite easy to find. A metaverse A.eth. Um, you only have to put that in any Google search and you actually will find me. Um, but if not, Alison Alexander um, on LinkedIn, you can find me there. But A metaverse A, both on LinkedIn and in Twitter. Um, or you can find me at Alison at Metacampus. Um, the company that we've co-founded, which is all about everything we've talked about, education, how to onboard, how to address all of those little bits, um, bringing new ideas to people and companies as to the value of the Web3 world. So all of those things. We will throw all that information in the uh, show notes. And thank you so much for hopping on the pod. Thank you very much for having me. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks for checking out this episode of More Than Blockchain. And to get in touch with Allison, go ahead and check out the episode show notes where I've left all of the links to get in touch with her, as well as all of the links to the people that she mentioned throughout the episode. As always, please follow us on social media at More Than Blockchain. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing the link with a friend, family member, or colleague. Learning about Web3, crypto, and the metaverse is really important to kind of where we are and where we're going. And no matter where you're listening to the pod, please go ahead and subscribe. Thanks again for checking out this episode of More Than Blockchain, and I'll see you next time.